Previously on Winglings, Em and I were trapped aboard the Luna Queen's ship. Magborn and a legion of rose fairies came to the rescue. In the chaos, the Luna Queen managed to escape as her minions surrendered. We sailed off aboard the Jolly Leafer, and Magborn gave me a tongue lashing for not fulfilling my royal duties. He gave M the nickname of Fire and showed us on the living map how much territory the Dark has consumed. He insisted we work with the other clan leaders to defeat the Dark, so we set off for the Rose Kingdom to convene. And now for Episode 7, The Rose Kingdom. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Winglings and the Fairy Kings. The journey to the Rose Kingdom was longer than I'd expected. Magborn did his best to shorten it, each morning casting wind spells into the leaf sail to give the Jolly Leafer an extra push. Even so, Em and I spent much of our time training. We mainly worked on our spells in the captain's quarters. We practiced channeling Pixie together. We took advice from Magborn, who usually sat off twirling his beard and shaking his head. At one point, while Em was practicing her wind spell, he jumped up from his chair and said, No, 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 no. You got to push a wind spell from deep in your gut. He motioned to his belly. Like this. He threw his hands out. Seposhvana! A gust of wind blew me back hard, making me stumble over a chair. As soon as I got back on my feet, Em gave it a whirl. My eyes widened as I saw her outstretched hands. Oh no. Fushra, she shouted. Whoosh, another burst of wind sent me flying back over the chair and into the desk. Oh, I groaned. Not bad fire, Magborn praised. We even fished for barking bass for old time's sake. Things got a little competitive, Magborn and I raced to see who could catch the most fish. In the end, he caught more, but mine were bigger. Finally, the Rose Kingdom appeared on the horizon. We flew up to the bow of the ship and looked out at the arching cliffs up ahead. Two mountains curved towards each other at their peaks, almost forming... A heart! Em squealed when she saw it. Oh, Magborn, it's wondrous! What a grand gesture of love! Here we go, I sighed. Em folded her hands in front of her heart. Did the Rose Clan make the mountains do that so that everyone who comes feels welcome and loved? Um, no, Magborn said. Those mountains are much older than the Rose Fairies. We call them the Two Brothers. They say the two peaks once touched that you could walk across them. 
Over the years, the peaks have grown apart. Magborn looked sad as he said it. I remembered the vision I'd seen in the waterfall years ago back in Emerald Creek. I remembered seeing images of three handsome young men dressed in red being crowned. They looked similar, as though they were brothers. The waterfall splashed, and then they were a bit older, sitting on three thrones, ruling a clan of fairies with red wings. Their kingdom was rich and prosperous. Their land was majestic and beautiful, with sharp arching cliffs and rolling hills full of vibrant roses. I saw two of the young kings meeting secretly in a cave, exchanging pixie with dark fairies and lunas. The third young king was watching, hidden at the mouth of the cave. He looked upset. He clearly wanted no part in it. I'd seen other visions of the two brothers becoming more and more corrupt. They reveled in their riches, dealing with the dark and wasting pixie on frivolous displays of spectacle for their people. Finally, the third king had had enough. I remember seeing him disguised in humble robes with a pack slung over his shoulder. He looked back at his kingdom, saddened, and then turned and headed for the sea, where a ship waited for him in the distance. That third king had been Magborn. Does it remind you of your brothers? I asked. Magborn looked at me surprised. Sorry, I don't mean to pry, I just... Magborn looked out over the water. It does, Scrub. What happened to them when you returned to the Rose Kingdom? <sighs> I was welcomed back by my people. The victory against the Dark in Emerald Creek proved to many of them they would be better protected in the light under my direction rather than dealing with the Dark. But my brothers didn't go quietly. There were some battles fought, but eventually we made peace. They accepted high positions on the Rose Council, but I fear that won't be enough for them. They refuse to live in the palace with me, and instead reside on the outskirts of the kingdom in their enormous cliffside villas. Even now, my spies tell me they conspire against me, that they secretly stoke the fires of rebellion among the people. They throw extravagant parties and use their share of family wealth to buy influence among the people. It has been very effective. He looked around to see if any of his soldiers were listening, and then turned to me and M. The truth is, my people are a bit lost right now. Uniting them and convincing them to look outward has proven to be my greatest challenge. He sighed. We're a kingdom divided. I'm sorry to hear that, I said. The jolly leafer reached the towering two brothers. I looked up in awe. The two peaks arched high above us as we sailed into the channel. There were two stone towers just beyond each of the peaks, both housing Rose Fairy guards. The guards in one of the towers stepped out upon our arrival and greeted us with a beautiful horn tribute. The guards in the other tower, however, wouldn't so much as step out to give us a wave. Magborn wasn't kidding. His people really were divided. The welcome was quickly forgotten as we passed by beautiful hills covered in roses. Swells of red, white, and yellow glowed under the sun. 
The hills followed us on either side until the channel narrowed and came to a beach, at the head of which stood the magnificent Rose Kingdom, sandwiched between the hills and mountains. A glorious gate covered in white and red roses opened for us as we stepped off the boat. We walked up the path and wound our way through a village filled with fairy homes that were as grand as royal palaces themselves. They were cut out of stone with intricate designs carved above their doorways and windows. Their roofs arched to a point and were covered in colorful roses. Fountains decorated every plaza and rose petals floated in their pools. The gardens were even more spectacular than the homes, with their flowered archways, pristine streams, fruit-covered vines, and perfectly manicured hedges. All around us, dark-haired, scarlet-eyed rose fairies glanced at us solemnly. Some bowed for their king. Others turned away in defiance. There was an air of seriousness in this kingdom that I'd never felt before. There was very little playing or laughter. The rose fairies spoke calmly and confidently to each other. Their expressions stoic, their movements purposeful. Their clothes were beautiful and extravagant in their design. Lace dresses weaved into flowers, fancy rose-bundled hats, and shining red and gold armor. Why, I couldn't pick fairy royalty out of the crowd if I tried. Mags himself looked like a poor scraggly beggar in comparison. The sudden formalness of my surroundings intimidated me. I felt like I couldn't smile in their presence. I felt like a pathetic little fairyling. My wings shriveled behind me. I wondered how Magborn had ever managed to tell a joke having grown up around here. We passed a truly magnificent pond full of rose fairies on leaf boats, and then arrived at the palace. Em and I gasped when we saw it. I couldn't tell what it was made of, because every inch of its grand walls were covered in red roses. The towers, balconies, spires, all of it was bright scarlet and in full bloom. M twirled. Oh, it's even more beautiful than I imagined. Mm, can you smell it? I sniffed the air. Light, it smelled amazing, like it was perfumed. Two guards in red and gold armor opened rose-covered doors for us. Inside the great hall, we could see that the castle was actually made up of stone, but it was no less beautiful. The rock was polished smooth, statues made of roses decorated the corridors, and warm light spilled in through tall windows. Magborn stopped by an ornate curved staircase with rose petals on its steps. All dirty and scruffy, he looked like an intruder about to ransack the place. You two get washed up and meet me in the South Tower for dinner, he said. I'll introduce you to the other clan leaders then. With a nod, he headed further down the hall with two guards by his side. I can't believe it, I whispered, looking around. Can't believe what? Em asked. That Mags is from this place. That he grew up inside these walls. He is a pixie king, Will. Yeah, but when you've known him as long as I have, you imagine him growing up in the belly of a boat or in a leaf hut? I guess this means he does bathe occasionally after all. 
I chuckled, and M slugged my arm as we headed up the stairs. There were fresh clothes and rose-shaped chocolates waiting for me in my room. I gawked at the warm bath with floating rose petals surrounded by flickering red candles. An enchanted harp played itself in the sitting area by a window that looked out over the palace gardens. The golden room was too clean to sneeze in. Was I allowed to sleep in that bed? I felt guilty disturbing the perfectly tucked silk blankets. I wasn't sure how long it had been when I finally emerged from my room wearing red, sweet-smelling regal clothes. My long hair was slicked back. For a brief moment, I felt like one of them. I felt like a wise, wealthy rose fairy. Minutes later, Em stepped out of her room. Her bright orange hair was gleaming in beautiful curls, and her dress was covered in real red flowers. Pollen fell to the floor as she twirled. I'm never leaving, she said in all seriousness. Please, you're not nearly poised enough to survive life among the roses. I straightened up. And two, I'm a true lady. Gah! She stumbled over her dress and landed face first into a rose statue of a knight. I laughed and she chased me down the stairs, tripping a few more times over her dress before giving up and taking flight. One of the guards was waiting to take us to the South Tower. I'm pretty sure he didn't look at us once, let alone say anything as we walked. He led us up a spiral staircase until we arrived at the highest tower. It was a spacious round room with tall beamed ceilings. Rose-shaped windows looked out over an incredible landscape. I could see the colorful hills, the jagged mountains, and the two brothers arching out over the sea, which was streaked with a pink sunset. Could this be real? Or was I under some sort of enchantment? Em almost started bouncing up and down giddily, but I stepped on a toe to remind her where we were. Sitting at a large round table in front of us were Magborn and other fairy royalty. I spotted the Queen of the Tulip Clan, the Queen of the Lavenders, the King of the Iris Clan, a Prince of the Snapdragon Clan, a few royal family members of the Carnation and Gardenia Clans, and some other royalty I didn't recognize, as well as two girls without wings, Winnie and her sister Lou, the Pixie Knots. Winnie wore a simple sundress for the occasion, and her long dark hair was pulled back into pigtails. Lou was wearing overalls and had chocolate stains all over her face and shirt. Her blonde hair poofed in the back like a duck. She waved at us and pointed to two empty seats next to her. Em and I sat down. Servants set heaping trays of delicious-smelling food in front of us that included a generous pile of scrumptious chocolates. Thank you for joining us, Magborn said from across the table. He obviously hadn't taken the time to freshen up like the rest of us. His beard, eyebrows, and ponytail looked as scraggly as ever. He pointed to us and looked at his guests. Willem and Emerald Wingling of the Daffodil Clan. As many of you know, I first met these two when Will was barely taller than this table, and Em was a wee fairyling. We've been through a lot together, and I suspect we have more adventures ahead of us. Little Lou wasn't paying attention. She reached over and grabbed a chocolate off the Gnome King's plate next to her. 
The big-nosed gnome gave her the stink eye as she popped it into her mouth. Were you going to eat that? Lou asked between chews. The gnome humphed and Lou shrugged. I've heard many stories of the Battle of Emerald Creek, the Queen of the Lavenders said, bowing to me and M. She was tall and impossibly thin. Her long hair was made entirely of lavender. Are we to believe that this scoundrel really swooped in aboard the Jolly Leafer to save the day? I didn't save the day, Magborn corrected, dabbing his beard with a leaf napkin. I helped a little. It was those two who did most of the work. You cast a spell that obliterated half the Dark Army, said the Snapdragon Prince, pointing to me. He was short, pudgy, and had a big mouth and wide-set eyes. Curious why you haven't cast that spell again and made quick work of this recent dark resurgence. I cleared my throat. <clears throat> All the confidence I felt outside my room melted away. I, well, I would, but there was an extraordinary amount of pixie magic under the willow tree to draw from, and... and he doesn't need to explain himself to you, Bastion, Magborn said, popping a chocolate in his mouth. We have more important things to discuss. What is being done on the southern front? The Carnation Queen, a plump fairy wearing a pink frilly dress, sighed. <sighs> Our clan has managed to stay out of harm's way, and we have aided the Hummingbird clan by equipping them with weapons. I'm afraid we haven't heard from the Cactus Clan, and rumors tell me they have gone dark. Their thorn skin has paled, and an ominous cloud hangs over the desert. They have not approached us, and we have no intention of breaching their borders. Hmm. Magborn nodded thoughtfully. What of your clan, Hemlor? The Iris King, with his dark blue sprouting hair, set down his golden fork. I have worked with the Lavenders and Hydrangeas to create a barricade in order to prevent the Dark Army from passing into our lands. We have used the strongest roots and bark in its construction, and we are confident it will hold. Magborn scratched his beard. What do you make of that, Will? <coughs> I coughed on my drink and it shot up through my nose. Garbers it burned. <coughs> After several more coughs, I finally caught my breath. A, a barricade, you say? I started to sweat. I could feel everyone's intense, judging gaze on me. That's an impressive feat, but I'm not sure how effective it will be against the Dark Army. Iris King's hair flashed red. Are you saying our efforts are useless? No, no! Uh, um, what I'm trying to say is... That your barricade is useless, M finished. <gasps> there was a gasp in the room as all heads turned to M, who sat casually sipping a soup. My brother is trying to say that your barricade won't slow down Timothy and his minions. Not for a day... Not for an hour, not for one measly minute. She took another loud sip. The Iris King turned to Magborn, who was suppressing a smile. 
Magborn, what is this? Who are they to question us? They are pixie royalty just like you, Hemlor. He looked at me. Your reasons? It's quite simple, really. Em started, but Mags cut her off. I'm asking Willem. All eyes traced back to me. Timothy is... Um, he's... Come on, lad, spit it out! The Snapdragon Prince blurted. In possession of a Shadow Zaxlin infused with the dark pixie power of Shadow Stones. The room fell silent. One point of his sword and your barricade will burst to pieces. One stab of the ground and the very earth under your kingdom will split apart. Homes will burn. Your subjects will bow to him and join him faster than you can say pixie pie. Everyone looked at each other nervously. You sure of this? The Gnome King finally asked. I nodded. Magborn leaned over the table. We must retrieve every Shadowstone that has not been captured before the Dark One can gain any more power. His army has already grown at an impossible rate. Everyone at the table agreed, but one. Queen Nenra. Mags looked at the Dandelion Queen. You've been unusually quiet during all this. What are your thoughts? The Dandelion Queen, with her dark hair and pretty face, dabbed at her mouth. Her dress was adorned with white dandelion pappas on her shoulders. Her face was powdered pink with too much makeup. She looked dreadfully bored, slouching in her chair like she was about to fall asleep. She gazed around the room lazily and grunted. Hmm. I could tell I wasn't the only one surprised by her response. Dandelions are notoriously loud. I take it you don't agree? Mags tried to clarify. The queen grunted again. Okay, anyone else? Mags went around the table and discussed which clan would take unshadowed territory to search for the stones. Emerald and Winnie were chatting it up next to me. How did you become so small? Em asked, looking as though she were about to hear the juiciest secret in all of fairydom. Winnie smiled. It took half the royalty here to enchant some berries that would make us small. The spell only lasts for a week, and you feel dizzy for the first few days just getting used to it. I bet. I'm Emerald. Winnie. They shook hands. Em rested her chin on her fist. I've been wanting to meet you and hear all about what it's like being a big human. Uh, technically, I'm not human. I'm an orchid fairy who's had her wings clipped. That's right, I forgot. Orchid fairies grow and forget things when their wings are clipped. Sometimes I wish I could do that. Trust me, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Winnie turned and tried to pull Lou away from reaching over the Gnome King to grab chocolates off the Dandelion Queen's plate. Lou's arm kept elbowing the Gnome in the face as she jostled for position. <coughs> Lou, stop it! Winnie whispered, tugging at her. No! I'm starving! Lou swatted her away and managed to snag the chocolates. She sat back and threw the handful in her mouth. The Dandelion Queen didn't seem to mind one bit. She just stared off lazily and grunted. Strange. I wondered if she was sick. Winnie, 
Magborn called. What have you heard from the orchids? Winnie let go of Lou's collar and sat back in her chair. Oliver and his clan have moved out of the carousel and now live underground beneath the praising prairies. Good. Are they in a position to help? I'm not sure, but I will ask them when I see them next week. Please do. Theodore and Jack? They've been helping the orchids with the move. They encountered some hurdles in their journey, but it was only a small band and they were fought off quickly. Winnie kept glancing at her sister out of the corner of her eye as she spoke. Lou was now crawling across the table to steal the chocolates off the Iris King's plate. Lou, get back here! I I'm sorry, you guys. Lou ignored her and took the chocolates, despite the Iris King's best efforts to hold his plate away from her. Her foot clumsily knocked the Gnome King's plate into his lap. That's it. I'm off to bed, the Gnome King said. Good night to you all. Magborn, I will start on my assignment tomorrow. Magborn bowed. Thank you. Lou crawled back over the Dandelion Queen's food, but the Queen didn't bat an eye. She looked like she was about to fall asleep in it anyway. Magborn looked back at Winnie. Please keep us informed on the orchids. We could use their help. I will think of another assignment for you in the morning. He turned to me and M. Will, M, you two will go to the Daisy Clan and retrieve their Shadowstone. I will go to the Wildflower Clan to see if they still have theirs, and then meet you in the Wisterian Jungle. I nodded. He turned to the Dandelion Queen. Nendra, do you feel up to an assignment? You and the Daffodils have a long history together. Why don't you and your soldiers accompany Will and M to the Daisy Clan? Slumped in her chair, the Dandelion Queen shook her head slowly and grunted. An awkward silence fell over the room. Magborn frowned. Are you feeling well, Nendra? The Queen grunted again. She dabbed her mouth with a napkin, and I could see a small grey patch of skin where the makeup had rubbed away. I felt a sudden chill in the air. My heart quickened as a thought came to my mind. Queen Nenra, I said. The Queen's eyes slowly looked my way and locked onto me. I came across a band of minions recently who were trying to rob a poor badger. They put up a fight, all of them, especially one very strong dark fairy. When I fought that fairy up close, I noticed something very troubling. It wasn't just some random dark fairy I'd been fighting, but rather one of your chief captains, Bursley Bobin. Several utensils dropped. The dandelion queen's mouth scowled and trembled furiously. I continued, How is it, your majesty, that your most loyal captain has been turned to a dark fairy and you remain here, unscathed? Magborn stared intensely across the table. Queen Nenra suddenly shot up out of a chair and threw her hands out at me. Before she could spit a curse, the entire table rose in unison. A chorus of spells was shouted, and a swirling burst of light lifted the dandelion queen up above the table and held her arms and legs outstretched. The blast of the spells had blown her makeup away, 
revealing her ghastly gray face with dark bags under her eyes. Nenra, a spy? The Snapdragon Prince shouted. You fools don't stand a chance against the Dark One, Nenra hissed. His power grows as we speak. The Shadow Stones belong to him. You will all one day bow to his... <coughs> Lou threw a chocolate into the Queen's blabbing mouth, making a gag. Thank you, Louise, Magborn said. He looked up at the suspended Dandelion Queen. After all these years, Nenra, you succumb to the dark? I never would have thought. The shadow doesn't suit you. Take her away. We will deal with her shortly. Two guards took hold of the queen's spellbound legs and pulled her through the air and out of the room. I watched her go, shocked that a dark fairy had just breached such a high-level meeting. Surely she had sensed the shadow stones in my possession. I couldn't believe she hadn't lunged at me earlier. I shook my head. The dandelion queen, now a dark fairy? The dark really was everywhere. Looking back at everyone around the table, I wondered if any more of them had secretly turned. Light save us all, Magborn whispered. That's enough excitement for one night. Thank you all again for coming. I'll see you all at breakfast to finalize our plans. The next morning after breakfast, Em and I packed our things and ready to set off for the Daisy Kingdom. Magborn stopped us just outside the castle. I didn't get the thank you, Will, he said, putting a hand on my shoulder. I don't know how I didn't sense the dark pixie in the room. You did well, Scrub. He ruffled my hair. And you, he turned to M with a grin, before you two go, I want you to show me what you can do with those sister blades of yours. Care to show me? He bounced his thick curly eyebrows. M played with her hair nervously. Are you sure? As sure as a ripe old Zaxlin fire. Come. Magborn took us to a beautiful palace garden that was divided by a creek with rose petals floating along its surface. A wooden platform was built over it like a bridge. Normally it was used for meditation, but Magborn had reserved it for our practice. Stone statues of Rose Clan heroes dotted the colorful Zen garden. Boovnish! Magborn used a spell to lift one out of its place and set it on the platform. It was a beautiful sculpture of a regal fairy queen. Magborn stepped back. Go on, striker! Emerald took out her Zaxlins and let out a long breath. <sighs> okay, here goes. She charged the statue and started hacking away at it. After only a few blows, her two swords turned on each other and started clashing. Oh, not again! No! No, stop it! God, they're bickering in my head! Em looked hilarious with her hands spazzing out in front of her. Command them to be silent, Magborn shouted. I can't! Whoa! Her Zaxlin's handle wings lifted her arms above her head and started flying her all over the place. Whoa! Whoa! Magborn folded his arms and tilted his head at me. I thought you said you trained her. 
I cringed as M's swords flew her into a couple of trees. I did. We just haven't gotten around to practicing with the Zaxlans much. Clearly. Magborn sighed and looked up at my sister. Come on, fire. Let those swords know who's boss. Enough! Emerald shouted. The blades abruptly stopped flying and she fell with a thud. Calm your pixie, Magborn said. Gather your light. Steady yourself. That's it. Widen your stance like this. When you charge an opponent, focus on the areas you want to target. Start the movement, but let the Zaxlins finish it. They want some control, but don't like being left with all the work. Try again. M composed herself and then charged the statue again. This time, her strikes landed repeatedly. Many of her strokes were awkward, but they carried through. Don't fight it, Magborn called to her, pacing the platform. Focus on your targets. Push a little pixie into your swings. Your blades obviously have a history. Some kind of sibling rivalry, no doubt. Each wants to deal the final blow. Allow them equal opportunity to strike true. Balance their hits. Be the harmony between them. M practiced again and again. Her attacks gradually improved. Magborn had her practice different strikes. He taught her how to speak to the Zaxlins, how to show them the proper respect and to foster a healthy relationship. He taught her how to properly care for her new weapons. It made me think about my relationship with Gabriel. I knew it wasn't as good as it could be. I reluctantly reached down and touched his handle at my side. Are you listening, Will? Came Gabriel's voice to my mind. I am. Are you? A Zaxlin is never too wise to heed the counsel of a good teacher. You've been forcing my hand in many fights lately. How about we take a turn? I smiled. Good idea. Gabriel and I took a turn with the statue, flipping, flying, and striking around it. I tried not to force my will into the moves, and instead gave Gabriel greater freedom in the strokes. As I did, I felt a greater power to our attacks, a smoother flow to our movements. I hadn't realized how much I'd been struggling against my Zaxlin lately. Goodwill, Magborn said as I finished a backflip with a slice across the statue's chest. On the next turn, Magborn practiced fighting against Emerald, helping her get a feel for the steps and flight of an airborne fairy sword fight. We were there for hours practicing. Emerald was already showing incredible improvement. Magborn was a much better teacher than me. I was grateful for his help. Finally, on the last drill, Emerald summoned a burst of pixie and did a tornado spin across the platform. Roses were caught up in a wind, swirling around her in a colorful current. She landed a ferocious blow on the statue, cutting it clean in half. The top half slid off, revealing Madborn's shocked face behind it. That was a statue of my mother. Oh, light! Uh, was it really? Emerald clumsily tried to pick it up off the ground. I, I had no idea. Madborn chuckled. Leave it, fire. My mother would be proud of ya. You remind me a lot of her. Light rest her soul. 
She was strong but humble enough to always seek improvement. He shot me a quick glance. His sheath is Zaxlin. All right, I'll let you go. The Jolly Leafer's waiting for you at the docks. Ev and I looked at each other. The Jolly Leafer, I said. But don't you need her? Eh, she'll suit you better for now. Take good care of her. If you're gonna get seasick, lean overboard, will ya? I work hard to keep that deck clean. You and the Pixie Knots will go to the Daisy Kingdom much faster with her help. I'll be waiting for you in the Wisterian jungle. Did you say Pixie Knots? Em's wings fluttered excitedly. Willie and Lou are coming with us. Mag smiled. That's right, Fire. The Pixie Knots are reporting for duty. Hey, Rocketeers, thank you for listening to that episode, and thank you, Roxanne Webb, for helping edit the story, and Jeremy from HarmoniousIdeas.com for helping edit the audio. I want to share a couple reviews from Apple. This one is from Anonymous from Memphis, Tennessee. It says, this podcast is amazing. I love how the characters are relatable, but also how they each have their own personalities. This podcast isn't all fluff and glitter, like all podcasts today. I'm 12, almost 13, and I have three little brothers, ages 4 to 11, and we all love this podcast. Thank you for making such fun and inspiring stories. Also, we are super excited about the Rocketeer Club. We will join for sure. Thanks again for this amazing podcast. Boom. I love it. Music Lover is the username. Music Lover. Are you really a music lover? What kind of music do you love, huh? You better be. I mean, you're from Memphis, Tennessee. You got to be a music lover, right? My brother and his family live in Searcy, Arkansas, and they go on trips to Tennessee. Like, And they say, those areas are pretty awesome, and I want to get there. I've driven through like Knoxville. It's beautiful. But I want to get to Memphis and Nashville and check it out. Anyway, thanks so much, music lover, for your review. And I want to share this review. It says, Quiet Characters, five stars, from Happy Mom 1989. And she said, thank you so much for including a character with selective mutism. My kiddo only speaks when they're comfortable and otherwise uses hand gestures and facial expressions, just like Leo from Space Train, by the way. So cool to have a character to relate to. Oh, man, that is awesome. Thank you so much for writing. And I'm thrilled that uh, your kid loves Leo. Leo's definitely one of my favorite characters. He's awesome. 
And that's fun. I'm going to be honest. I try to make like a diverse group of characters and I'm not always thinking like, okay, is this character going to relate to these kinds of kids or this or that? And I, I don't always think through all those details. If I'm being completely honest, I just liked the diverse characters that are very different and have different strengths and different struggles and, and whatever. It's just, and, and Leo, this is so cool. I love this, that your kid related to Leo. That's awesome. That uh, makes me feel amazing. So thank you so much for sharing that. Racketeers, go ahead and leave your reviews on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And please, please, please be sure to tune in next time for an all new episode. This is your host, Greg Webb.